podcast is brought to you by Pastor Evan Havens and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good morning. So glad that you made it here on Labor Day weekend. Hey, if you need a Bible, if you would just lift up your hand. Our ushers have Bibles that you can use during service. If you don't have one with you today, I encourage you to get one. And when you get a Bible, go to Exodus chapter 13. I'm going to be continuing Pastor Stormy's series on the wilderness. It has been so good and it has helped me personally so much just to see that that the things that we go through are for a purpose. And in this wilderness series, we have established that the question is not if we will go through a wilderness, but when will we go through that wilderness? We've established in the series that the Lord never uses wilderness times to punish us, but it's to prepare us and to teach us to seek Him in everything that we do. We've established that you're not going to go through just one wilderness season. You're not going to go through just two wilderness seasons. But there will be many wilderness seasons all throughout your life that the Lord brings you through. So what could the wilderness be for you in your life? Well, many of you right now may be going through financial difficulty. Maybe because of the loss of a job. Maybe you got laid off. And that's your wilderness right now. Maybe some of you are having marital problems. Or you're having issues with another type of relationship. And that's your wilderness right now. Maybe you've had sudden news about issues with your health. Or issues with the health of one of your family members. And for you that is your wilderness. Maybe you've had a hard time because of work. Your job is difficult. It's hard on you. It's hard on your body. Or you have a hard time balancing work and church and friends and school and family. Maybe for you your wilderness is mourning. Mourning the loss of a loved one, a spouse, a child, a a father, a mother, a grandparent. So there could be any number of different challenges that come up in our life that for us are wilderness times. And I want to show you today how we get through these wilderness times. And I want to show you today what your mindset should be like when you go through the wilderness. So in Exodus chapter 13... In Exodus chapter 13, it's a story of God bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. You see, they had spent time in the wilderness, and their first wilderness was being slaves for 400 years. They were overworked, they were beaten, they were abused. They, Pharaoh even killed their small children so that the nation of Israel wouldn't become too great and overtake the Egyptians. They were treated terribly and for 400 years and the Lord finally brings them out. And here's the first thing that that they go through whenever they come out of Egypt. Exodus 13, verse 18, it says, So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness, towards the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. So they come out of Egypt, the worst time in the whole history of their nation, And immediately when they come out, the Lord leads them through a wilderness. Now this isn't the wilderness that they wandered around for 40 years. This one came before they even got to the Red Sea. And then verse 21 of Exodus 13, it says, The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. So yes, it was God that led them through the wilderness. 
Just like when Jesus went into the wilderness, the Bible says that the Spirit led him to the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. But God did not leave them in the wilderness. And he didn't leave them there and just hope that they would make it. He gave them the tools and the provisions that they would need to thrive in the wilderness. What was the wilderness for? For the Israelites, the Lord was taking them into the promised land. The land that was flowing with milk and honey. But he knew that if they didn't have these experiences trusting God, that they would look to those things as their source instead of looking to the God that created them. And the Lord wanted to teach the Israelites to look to him and him alone. That he would be their only God. That they would have no other idols before him. I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 3. And the book of Daniel is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Because it talks about men who were filled with faith even when they went through these terrible times in their life. And this morning... The series is centered around three men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men stood the test of the wilderness. And I think that we can learn from them what our attitude should be like when we go through hard times. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were living in Jerusalem. And one day, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, came to Jerusalem and besieged the entire city. And took every one of the people there captive. And they lived in exile in Babylon. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were were very young when this happened. And they were strong young men, and so they were taken into the king's service. And they were made to eat food that was against what God had told them to eat. But they, they took a stand and they didn't do it. They were made to bow down and worship the gods of the Babylonians under fear of, of punishment of death. But they wouldn't do it. They refused to bow down and serve any other God. They were made to serve this wicked king. And when King Nebuchadnezzar heard, he, he set up this statue and he said, everybody in the, in the land of Babylon must bow down and worship this statue of me. And he got word that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not going to bow down and worship you. We're only going to bow down and worship the one true God. And this is where we pick up in Daniel chapter 3, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse... You will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? You see, when you look at that, the word that Nebuchadnezzar used when he said, what God can save you from my power, that's little g. Because Nebuchadnezzar wasn't aware that that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego served the God that's capital G. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who is mighty to save in any situation. And this is their response. He says, if you don't worship, if you don't bow down whenever you hear the music, then I'm throwing you into the blazing furnace and you'll burn alive. But verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. 
even if he doesn't, we will only ever serve him. Even if he doesn't save us and the outcome isn't like what we want it to be like, we will not serve other gods. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of the message is Even If He Doesn't. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would give us wisdom and discernment and that we hear your word, that we would only understand the truth of it, that we wouldn't put our own ideas that we wouldn't add anything, that we wouldn't take anything away, but your word is truth and we look to it. Holy Spirit, soften our hearts this morning that when we hear that we would be able to apply the word to our lives, that it would change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 14. So the goal this morning is to locate our attitude in the wilderness. When we go through those trying times, when we're trusting in the Lord to lead us through the wilderness and we're trusting in the Lord for a certain outcome in our lives, do we have the attitude, even if he doesn't, I will only ever serve him? Or do we have an attitude that's more like, he better or I'm out? So I'm going to ask us three questions this morning that can locate our attitude in the wilderness. And the first question, are you wondering or are you wondering? That's hard to distinguish the difference, so it's up on the screen for you. Are you wandering around aimlessly? To wander means to walk around without purpose, without direction. Or do you wonder at who God is? Are you filled with awe at his beauty and his majesty, at who he is, at what he's done? See, in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, it tells the story of the 12 spies. When the Lord told Moses, send 12 spies into the promised land. They had gone through the first wilderness. They crossed the Red Sea and they saw the Lord's miraculous salvation. They turned around and saw their enemy crushed under the weight of the Red Sea as the Lord caused it to cave back in. And they're led straight from there into another wilderness. And they go through that wilderness and they reach the place where the promised land begins. And the Lord says, send 12 spies in. And 10 of the spies come back with this report and they say, The grapes are huge. If they had the sport back then, they would have said, these grapes are like basketballs. They said, you wouldn't believe the fruit. It actually is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's incredible. But the people there are huge. And we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. You know where that statement came from, by the way? It came from their own perception. Those people didn't come up and say, wow, you look like grasshoppers. They were spies. They were hidden as they were searching out this land. They perceived themselves as grasshoppers compared to the other people that were there in the land. Not only that, but they said they have fortified cities. There's no way that we can beat them. We need to just stay here in the wilderness. Let's pick up in Numbers 14, verse 1. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt... Or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? By the way, you guys, if you've been here any amount of time, you've probably heard Pastor Stormy say, if you want to know that if you're in faith, attach, and that's just the way I want it after anything that you say. That's going to be important here in a second. They say, 
let's die here in the wilderness. Our wives and our children are going to be carried off as plunder. Verse 6. Two of the men who had explored the land. Two out of the twelve. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, The land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of that land. I love this part. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So ten of the spies came back and they gave their report. And they said, it would have been better if we just wandered around in this wilderness forever. It would have been better if we just would walk around aimlessly, having no purpose and no direction, than if we go to this promised land and die in battle. But two men said, do you not know how great our God is? Do you not know that if he promised it, that we will see the promise fulfilled? Do you not know that he is mighty to save? And they wondered at who God was. They were in awe at the power of God. So look at the Lord's response down in verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? Yes, I've heard the complaints the Israelites are making against me. Now tell, me that, tell them this. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. You will all drop dead in this wilderness. You will wander around aimlessly for the rest of your life. You'll never get out of it because you complained against me. Every one of you who is 20 years old or older and was included in the registration will die. You will not enter or occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. You see, the two men that wondered at God, that were in awe of his power, they got to enter the promised land. But the ten men that came back with the report that said it would be better for us just to wander around in this wilderness, and everybody who believed their report instead of God's report, the very thing that they said happened to them. And they wandered aimlessly in that wilderness for the rest of their lives. See, when we lose our wonder... We are destined to wonder. And that's our choice. We can either wonder at who God is, and even though the circumstances may look bad, we can look to him as the author and the finisher of our faith, or we cannot take him at his word. And we can trust in our own strength and our own ability and wander around aimlessly in this uncomfortable situation that we're in right now. See, Joshua and Caleb, they never lost their wonder. Their eyes were constantly fixed on the one who made them, and on the one who made the promises to them. So for my life, my first really significant wilderness experience came in the form of a long-distance relationship. And it was my first girlfriend. And I went to CF&I in Dallas in Bible school. And I, I was living here, and then I went to school in Dallas. And I came home at Christmas, and I, and I asked Kelsey to be my girlfriend. And it was so sweet. I had little brothers. They were like, Six or seven, and I had them be the waiter, and they put the little towel over their arm. And then I shared, I want you to be my girlfriend. And so now, when we talk about it, I ended up marrying her, obviously. She's wonderful and beautiful. And now we talk about it, we call those times the puppy love stage. 
you know, when you first start dating someone, you've all been there, and it's the, everything that they do is perfect, and you're like, your morning breath smells like perfume, you know, and, and your farts smell like roses, you know, and, and it's just, everything's perfect. And then, you know, you wake up someday and you realize, oh, this is actually hard work to do this all. It's, it's not just, you know, sunshine and roses. But during the puppy love stage, I remember it was, it was hard on me because she lived in Lubbock and I lived in Dallas. And I was at Bible school. My goal was to be focused on God. You know, I wanted to be learning more about Jesus and getting trained for whatever would come next in my life. But a lot of my focus wasn't on God in those times. And my focus was on my girlfriend. And I would think about her and I would worry about her. And then I started worrying, well, what, if, what if she's not the one that God has for me to marry someday? I just, I love her so much. And I started worrying, man, what if, what if God will have me live in Dallas forever and have her live in Lubbock forever? And all these thoughts start running through my mind. And I remember calling my mom on the phone. And I said, Mom, if the Lord has somebody better for me, I don't want them. I just want Kelsey. Thank you for laughing. I laugh at myself, too. It's so cheesy. But the problem is that that was actually my, my heart. My actual thought was God can't do any better than what he's done right here. And now that was true. I ended up marrying her, and she's wonderful and perfect, like I said. But my attitude in that wilderness in my life was horrible. And I look back on it now, and I'm so filled with, I guess, regret or sorrow that I didn't say, you know what, Jesus, I'm just going to seek you. And whatever comes my way, you're the one that I'm after. So my heart in that wilderness season was not, even if he doesn't. My heart in that wilderness season was, if he doesn't, I'm going to do it my way. And man, how dangerous can that be? And I want you to identify yourself and in the wilderness season that you're in right now. And where are you at? Because I truly believe that if my heart wouldn't have changed... I'd still be wandering around in wildernesses in my life. And I would never have looked at the awesome power of God to see that he loves me and he cares for me and he has a plan for me and a purpose for me. And when I let go of holding on to, I've, I've got to keep this all together and quit worrying about it and just said, God, you do what you're going to do. And man, he could do so much more than me. And even though I didn't exit that wilderness immediately, he brought me through it. And it taught me to trust him. Actually, in that wilderness time, my wife went, or she was my girlfriend at the time, she went on a, a mission trip. And when she was on the mission trip, she couldn't have her phone with her. And so I would only get to talk to her like once every couple of days, and it, it was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. I couldn't talk to her. I couldn't text her. I just got texting. It was way back then. So I just got texting so that I could text her. And I didn't get to. She's on the mission trip. And so I thought, you know what I need to do since we can't talk? I need to make a video of myself just professing my love to her. And I need to send it to her. And so I did. Now, this is before the selfie camera was on your phone. So you had to just turn your phone around and hope that you were in the picture. And so I, I sat there and I videoed myself. And I said, I love you. And I miss you. And, and I can't wait till you get home so that I can hold your hand. And we'll sit on the couch together. It'll be incredible. So this is me videoing myself. 
And I tried to send it to her. I tried to email. I tried to text. But she couldn't. I mean, it just wasn't the same as it is now back then. And so she wasn't able to get the videos. So I had a brilliant idea. I know. I'll post the video on YouTube. But I'll name it something that's not, like, it's going to be conspicuous. So I just, this group of numbers that meant something to both of us, I just titled it this 918-927. And, and I, so then I text her, I said, whenever you get this message, search 918-927 on YouTube, and you will see me. I'll be there. There's a problem, though. My sister. My sister somehow found out that 918-927 existed. And she searched YouTube, and she found it. And she laughed so hard that my brothers heard her laughing. And so all seven of my brothers then also watched 918-927. And I, this is over 10 years ago, I still haven't lived it down. As soon as I found out that they knew about it, I took it off YouTube. I deleted it. It's, I deleted the video. Like, it's gone. But two weeks ago, 11, 12 years later, I get a text and it says, we found 918-927, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And I was like, no. <laughs> I go over to my parents' house, and somehow my dad found it on his computer. don't know why it was there. But my family is sitting around the living room TV watching this video of me 12 years ago professing my love to Kelsey and laughing their heads off. So, I, of course, I had to watch it. I haven't seen it since I made it, and I was also laughing at myself. Just know, teenagers, if you're in a relationship right now, it's, it's going to get better. Things are going to be better, and you're going to look back and make fun of yourself, okay? So, the first question that we ask ourselves to locate us in the wilderness, am I wondering or am I wondering? Second question that we ask ourselves to locate our attitude in the wilderness, do you have contempt or contentment? Turn back three chapters to Numbers chapter 11. So the word contempt is not necessarily a word that we use a lot. But it's powerful when we look at the definition. The word contempt means the act of despising. Or even worse, I think, the state of mind of one who despises. In a court, it means willful disobedience or open disrespect. And I think how many of us even like myself to some degree in my first wilderness season I talked about, did I have willful disobedience and open disrespect for the Lord God? How many of us despise the season that we're in so much that we show disdain for God? Despising your circumstances and not looking to the one who led you there to teach you and to prepare you that's why James says, consider it pure joy when you face various trials. Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, lacking nothing. See, the Lord has goodness in store for us. Just like Josh said. The most glorious thing about God, when Moses asked to see his glory, the Lord said, here's the most glorious thing about me, it's my goodness. And But we don't trust in the goodness of God and we show we, have, we despise our circumstances. See, the Israelites, they forgot completely what their life was like in Egypt. And they also forgot what God had brought them through. They forgot how God had provided for them. You see, when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he provided water from a rock. 
When God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he provided food for them every single day. They had food to eat. And it was this bread that just came, appeared from heaven. But here's what the Israelites' heart was. In Numbers 11, chapter 4. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. To me, verse 5 is completely ridiculous. I love it. Verse 5, we remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlics we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. And what they forgot was that the Lord had brought them out of a horrible, horrible situation. They were overworked and beaten. They weren't sitting around plates of fish and cucumbers just having, you know, conversation around the dinner table. They were slaves. Pharaoh killed their children. But they forgot what they came from. And they began to complain about their current situation. And I think the key here is that they started to listen to the people that were around them. So the foreign rabble that were traveling with them began to complain. And then the Israelites also began to complain. So there's going to be people in your life that are going to, that are going to ask you to complain. They're going to try to get you to look, take your eyes off of God and off of his promise and say, man, you're going through a really tough time. You should, you should probably you know, vent to somebody about that. You should complain about that. I can't believe you're having to do all that. Man, that's terrible. And you get around these people that begin to tell you that you should complain and that becomes your heart. Look at verse 10, Numbers 11. Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining. And the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. See, God had provided for them supernaturally. And all they did was complain. God had taken them out of Egypt so that they could worship him. But all they did was complain. And here's what happened to him in verse 31, Numbers 11. Now the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall all around the camp. For miles in every direction there were quail flying about three feet above the ground. So the people went out and caught quail all that day and throughout the night and all the next day too. No one gathered less than 50 bushels. They spread the quail all around the camp to dry. Verse 33. But while they were gorging themselves on the meat, while it was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. They didn't seek God. They weren't content in the wilderness just to be with him. See, they were finally able to worship God the way that they had always been created to. They were able to give God everything that they had because they were free from being slaves in Egypt. But all they could do was look to their natural bodies and show contempt for the the season that they were in. They despised being in the wilderness. They despised the manna. And God wanted them to seek him. And they wouldn't. They had an incorrect view of their past. They had an incorrect view of their God. And they had an incorrect view of their current situation. But what about the other side? How do we live with contentment in our hearts? How do we live our lives being content? Paul gives us insight into this in Philippians chapter 4. All the way towards the back of the Bible in the New Testament. You see, Paul was a man that went through crazy trials. But he saw the Lord deliver him. Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse 11. Paul says, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. 
I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. So get your pen ready. He's about to give us the secret to living with contentment in our hearts. Verse 13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. The secret to being content even in the wilderness is to be content through Christ who gives you strength. You see, our sinful nature, our human nature, by nature we are not content people. By nature we want the bigger, the better. We want to be better than this person, better than that person. We want to have more. We want to eat better food and have better houses. That's what's within us. You see, the enemy, Satan, is is where the fallen nature originates from. And even he himself, he was able to worship God, Lucifer, the archangel. He was in charge of worship in heaven, but he wasn't satisfied with that. He wanted just a little bit of the glory for himself, too. He wasn't content giving God all of the glory. And he was cast down to heaven, and he became an enemy of God. And it's the same thing with us. By our nature, we can't be content. But through Christ, you can walk through this wilderness that you're in and be content. Through Christ, you can walk through this wilderness that you're in and look to God as your strength. It's all through him. The Lord brought me through another wilderness season in my life. After I finished Bible school, I went to college to become a teacher. My wife and I got married during that time. And I remember I I got an interview at a school, and then they hired me, and I had my first job. And kind of like the puppy love stage of of dating, I was like, this is it. I've arrived. I went to school for this. I got a job. And so, you know, you spend the summer preparing and planning, and you're getting your lessons ready and decorating your classroom, and I was so excited. And the first day that the kids showed up, you know, the first class was great, the second class was great, and then I had a class come in, and oh my goodness, I wasn't ready for this. All the things they taught me in college did not prepare me for what is happening here in this school right now. And I had a really hard first day, went home and I was like, man, it'll be better tomorrow. It was harder the second day. And I came back from that day and the, and the first week nearly killed me, I thought. And I thought to wonder, did, did I make a mistake? Like, was it really the Lord who led me here? Because this is not fun. After the first year, actually, just to show you a little bit about what I experienced, during my first year of teaching, this girl comes into class, and she comes in late, and I'm already starting to teach. And she comes in, and I addressed her. I said, would you mind taking your seat, please? And she turns around, walks a little bit closer to me, calls me a really exciting name that I won't share here, and then says, you get on my blankety-blank nerves. I just asked you to sit down. Like, that's what you're supposed to do anyway. And things like that happened over and over. And I was like, Lord, what is happening? And after my first year of teaching, I almost quit. I was honestly like, I don't don't think I was cut out for this. I can't do this. But the Lord spoke to me and said, I've called you there. I started thinking, maybe if if I moved schools, it would be better. Maybe if I I taught at a different kind of school, it would be different. Maybe if I moved to elementary, maybe if I moved to high school. But the Lord told me, I've called you here. And I used to, to tell my wife this. I would, we would talk about how difficult it was. And I'd say, it's okay. It's, it's totally fine. I can do anything for a short amount of time. 
And I said that over and over, knowing that surely the ending point was coming soon because I wasn't, I wasn't cut out for this. So it's okay, I can do anything for a short amount of time. And one day the Lord stopped me in my tracks. And he said, don't ever say that again. Because when you say, I can do anything for a short amount of time, you're looking to the ending of that thing as your strength. I can do anything as long as I know it's going to end soon. He said, that's not what the word says. The word says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And he began to speak to me and say, what if I never brought you out of that? What if you taught at at that school for the rest of your life? And the Lord brought me to a place where I could honestly say, if I stay here for the rest of my life, if I teach here until the day that I die, I will serve you. Even if you don't ever bring me out of this wilderness that I'm in, I will worship you and you alone. I will do it because I want to be obedient to you. And after that first year, I stopped, have, I stopped despising the wilderness season that I was in. And I started, I was able to pray with different kids. And I was able to, to buy Bibles for certain kids. Certain kids would come into my classroom and ask me questions and I would get to pray with them and share, them with, share scriptures with them. And I used that season in my life for God's glory. But I think, what if I would have kept my attitude of, I don't think I'm cut out of for this, surely God made a mistake. I wonder if I wouldn't still be wandering around in that wilderness. But I learned to be content. Not in the situation that I was in, it still wasn't fun, but I went every day with joy in my heart and looking to God and knowing that he had a plan for me. So it was there that I learned to say, even if he doesn't, I'll still serve him. So we either wonder or we wonder. We either have contempt or contentment. And the last question that locates our attitude in the wilderness, are you looking for the promise or are you looking for the promiser? See, the children of Israel were constantly looking for the promise. All they wanted was the promised land. All they wanted was that land flowing with milk and honey. From the time they left Egypt until the time that they got there, that's all that they were after. But that's not what God was after. God was after a relationship with them. He wanted their heart. Yes, he wanted to bless them. And he promised to give them that land. But his goal was to create a relationship with him. Deuteronomy 4 says that God is a jealous God. And we as people, we think of jealousy as a bad thing. And it is for us because we're jealous of each other. Man, that house he got, that should have been me. We're jealous of the things that other people have. God is never jealous of us. God is jealous for us. He wants our heart. He wants our attention. He wants our affection. That's what he created us for. And so he's jealous for us. So the children of Israel were always complaining. They were never satisfied because you know what? When you look for the promise, when that's your goal, then until you get there, you will be dissatisfied. If your goal is for the promise, then from the time that you're getting there, the journey, you'll complain. You'll have contempt in your heart for your situation. You won't be happy. You won't be filled with joy. You won't be filled with peace. But if you look for the promiser, then even when that promise comes, you'll still be looking to him. Because he's your goal. Because he's your source of joy. Because he's your strength. And I love, this is my favorite verse. I think I said that about a lot of verses. This one might be my actual favorite. I just like the whole Bible. Exodus 33 This is where Moses is meeting with God. And he's talking with the Lord. 
And the Israelites had been complaining. They had been worshiping idols. They made a calf out of gold and, and worshiped it and said, This is the God who brought us out of Egypt. Verse 33, or chapter 33, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Get going, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. Go up to the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them, I will give this land to your descendants. And I will send an angel before you to this land uh, to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land that flows with milk and honey. But I will not travel among you. For you're a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did... I would surely destroy you along the way. So God says, this promise that I've made to you, today's the day, Moses, you guys get to go. That's all the children of Israel have ever wanted is the promised land. And so go, go into the promised land. But I'm not going with you. And I think for every single other person in that community, they would have been like, wow, thanks, God. We're so excited. We don't even have to fight for it. You're going to send your angel to drive out all the enemies? This is incredible. But not Moses. Verse 15. Then Moses said, If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. What place was he talking about? He was talking about the wilderness. Moses said, I'd rather stay here in this wilderness if it means I get to be with you, God. Because he wasn't after the promise. He was after the promiser. He wanted a relationship with God. And when I was preparing for this message, the Lord showed me, and I never even realized this before, but the wilderness experiences that I'd had in my life, some of them I handled them well and some of them I didn't. But they were preparing me for the greatest challenge that I've faced yet in my life. And I remember in June of 2014, my wife and I had been married for a couple of years. And I came to her one night and I said, you know what, I I really think that I want to start a family. And she agreed that that had been on her heart too. And so we decided that we would pray and ask the Lord for wisdom about when we should start our family. So that that summer, we go to a youth conference. And I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I think there was a session for leaders or maybe one of the speakers just said this to the leaders, even though the students were in the session as well. But said, if any of you are desiring to start a family, I want you to stand up. So we kind of look at each other like, okay, we stand up. And that man prayed a blessing over all of the people that stood because he said, the world that we're living in is getting more and more difficult to raise godly children in. And he said, we want to pray strength and blessings over you that when you start the family that you're going to start, that you have the strength of God and that you can, can lead your family in a godly way. For us, that was, that was confirmation. And then later, my brother actually, who this was not in his personality at all, he came to my wife and he said, I don't really know what's going on with you guys, but the Lord really put this on my heart, and I'm really kind of embarrassed to share it, but I'm just going to be obedient. And he said, the Lord is telling you not to be afraid to have, to have children, to have a family. My wife's like. And so we knew just from, from praying and from those two confirmations that we had that the Lord had promised us a family and children. Really soon after that, that same summer, my wife got pregnant. I remember coming home on August 15th, 2014, and she, she told me when I got home from work that she was pregnant. We were so excited. So we start planning and preparing how we were going to tell our families and everything. We get these grand schemes together of how we're going to reveal the fact that we're having a baby. 
and we tell our families, and everybody's so excited for us. It's, it's the first grandchild on my parents' side. So we go to our doctor's appointments, and the doctor does the sonogram, and she has this strange look on her face. And she says, you're, you're sure about you know, how long you've, you've been pregnant? And I said, oh, yeah, we're sure. She said, okay, it's, it's just it's looking like that this baby's not big enough for that. And she said, I also can't find a heartbeat. Um, but that's not, that's not a big deal. So we'll just, what we're going to do is be cautiously optimistic, and we're going to just hope for the best. So they said, go home and come back in a week. Well, obviously, you get news like that, and we were very distraught. And so the first thing that we did was we drove up to the church. I think it was a Tuesday or something, and, and we came up, and Pastor and Shelly were in the office, and we had them pray over us. And so they prayed healing over my wife, healing over our baby. Then we, we, we continued praying. We told our parents we needed them to pray. We needed prayer warriors to stand with us. And so we had people praying with us, praying for us all that week. And we were standing in faith. There was no doubt in our lives at all. We knew that God was going to do something great. And we go to that next doctor's appointment a week later. And we do the sonogram. And the lady says, uh, baby's the exact same size as it was a week ago. And there's still no heartbeat. So this, this is, is going to be a miscarriage. And I, I remember the feeling still that I had. My wife and I got in the car. We were just quiet. And I called my mom and I told her what had happened and she called her mom and I just broke down and began to weep like I've never cried before. And I went home that night and I sat on my bed and I had my Bible beside me on the nightstand. And I knew that I had a choice to make. And the choice was this. I either be angry at God. Angry because he didn't heal my wife and my baby the way that I thought he should. Angry because when we prayed, what we prayed for didn't happen. Or I could choose to seek him. I could choose to say, even if he doesn't, I'll still serve him. And in that moment, I chose to serve God. And I picked up my Bible, and I opened it up to the Psalms, and I began to read. And an unbelievable peace came upon me. And my wife, in the same circumstance, she chose the same thing. We don't know why this happened. We don't know why there wasn't healing like we thought there would be. But we trust you, God. And our relationship with the Lord grew so much in that moment. We trusted him. And we went through that wilderness season for several months. And even to this day, there's pain in my heart about the loss that we experienced. But the Lord has restored everything that the enemy took from us. We looked to the promiser. And so even when the promise came, even when my daughter was born... We still look to him. He's our fulfillment. He's our joy. He's our prize. He's our strength. He's the one we look to. So what's your attitude like in the wilderness? Are you just wandering around or are you wondering at who God is? Do you have contempt in your heart? Do you despise the situation that you're in right now? Or do you have contentment in your heart? To know that whatever you go through, that Jesus is right beside you. Are you looking for the promise, or are you looking for the promiser? See, a verse that we quote as Christians all the time 
It may be the second most quoted scripture right behind John 3.16. It's Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And when you read that and quote that over your life, a lot of Christians get the idea that God's just got this, you know, sunshine, roses, butterflies. As we walk, like butterflies come up from where our feet step, and it's just perfect. And as Christians, nothing will ever happen to us. We'll never go anything hard. We'll never go through anything that, that's challenging to us because we're, we serve Jesus and he makes our way perfect. But as I studied Jeremiah 29, 11, I got to look at the context of it. So the verses before and the verses after, actually Jeremiah 29, 11 is part of a letter that Jeremiah, who was a prophet, wrote to the Babylonian captives, the, the people, the Israelites that were captives and exiles in Babylon. This letter was written to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all the other Israelites that were in exile in Babylon. When they were going through the fire, when they were saying, even if he doesn't, this is what the Lord's heart for them was. And we're going to start in Jeremiah 29, verse 4. And I'm ending with this. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children, then find spouses for them, so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Verse 8. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who were with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Remember those people that got the Israelites start complaining? Jeremiah is telling the Israelites, don't listen to the people that are telling you lies. You focus on the word and the truth of God. But he also says, the Lord says to the Israelites, I have you here. I have you in this wilderness. And you're going to be there a little while. But look at the next part, verse 10. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. And this is verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Go ahead and stand up on your feet with me. So even if he doesn't, Jeremiah didn't write this to people who had it easy and who just needed a little encouragement because they needed to know that God had a future for him. No. This was written to exiles and captives people who had been taken from their home and forced to serve other gods. And Jeremiah says, you're going to be in the wilderness a little bit. You're going to be there for a while. They said, multiply, don't dwindle away. And I think that's a challenge for us in our spirit. Let your spirit multiply. Don't let your relationship with God dwindle away because you go through hard times. He has led you here to bring you into a relationship with him where you trust him where you know that he's got a plan 
and a purpose for you, even though part of that plan and purpose may be walking through the wilderness. He wants to bring you to a place where you wonder at who he is, where you're filled with contentment in your heart, and where you look for the promiser in all things. And I know that for me, there's been times in my life where my heart, my attitude has not been, even if he doesn't. And you gotta repent for those times. Maybe right now, you're not in a place where you can say, even if he doesn't, even if it doesn't look like I think it should look, I'll serve him. And I wanna invite you this morning. The prayer team's gonna be on either side here. But I wanna give you two options. If you really need somebody to pray over you today and pray with you and help you through this, this poor attitude that you've had in the wilderness, then come and let our prayer team pray with you and, and speak the life of Jesus over you. But maybe you're in a situation where you just need to be alone with Jesus for a second. Maybe you need to repent. Repent for what your attitude's been like in the wilderness. Maybe you need to repent that you haven't been able to say yet, even if he doesn't. You need to come to a place where you're on your knees and you say, I just want to look for the promiser. And just like it says in Jeremiah, when you seek him with all of your heart, he will be found by you. So they're going to sing this song. And as they sing, I invite you to come forward either for prayer from our team or just to bow on your knees at the altar and worship the God who the most glorious thing about him is that he's good. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlebeck.com.